I just can't get enough of soaking up the history of the game, particularly from that sort of era and the 80s as well. Well, certainly Reggie has his place in that era that we dearly love. And you know what? It should be for the reason that what a great player that we saw as opposed to his early demise. And when we think of him, we should think about his impact on the game as opposed to his premature death. Then you are in Australia right now. You're talking NBA basketball. You're talking great teams. You're talking great individual players. Takes it off and there's number 23. And of course, Johnny goes nuts. So we're all getting curious pumps thinking about it now. I just tried to go out there and play my game. I have no idea what you're talking about, Adam. I don't like anybody. I'm not a people person. Strand, you make the pass. Yes. Christian, can you catch the ball? Yes. All the stars were aligned and all the muscles fired at the right time. And I was able to get off the ground and throw one down. I was saving that as a surprise for you. And now... Introducing your host for In All Airness, Adam Ryan. Welcome to episode 27. Thanks for joining me. My website, inallairness.com. Just add a forward slash and the episode number to view show notes. To begin with today, I'd just like to quickly thank Chris Wade. Also, you can follow him on Twitter at wince 84 so chris designed a new logo for the podcast and i'm really happy to introduce that starting from today's episode thanks again chris it's much appreciated i really love the new design and i thank you for taking the time to help me out i hope you as a listener enjoy the logo going forwards if you'd like to interact with the show please visit facebook.com slash in all earnest you can add your like to the page you can suggest topics for future episodes or guests that you'd like to hear conversations with. You can also leave voicemail comments or questions on either of those two sites. If this is the first time you're listening, thanks very much for trying the show. I hope you enjoy it. Please subscribe to the show on iTunes, or you can simply add my RSS feed. Just check out the right-hand sidebar of my website. You can hear the show on Stitcher, Player FM, and other podcatchers. You can follow me on Twitter at InAllAirness. I'd really appreciate any iTunes ratings and reviews, so please visit inallairness.com forward slash iTunes. And if you take a moment to add a review, I'd love to mention your name in a future episode. Your ratings and reviews are really the ultimate assist to me, so I do really appreciate that. And it also helps me reach a wider audience. On this episode, I'm joined by Todd Spear. He's back, and we chat about the life of Reggie Lewis, the former Celtics great whose life was tragically cut short in 1993. Now, on to the show. I'd like to welcome back to the show today a good friend of mine, Todd Spear. Todd, how are you going, mate? Yeah, good, Adam. Thanks for having me back, mate. No worries at all. Thanks for coming back on. And today, we're going to be doing a retrospective about the great Reggie Lewis, whose career was cut all too short, tragically, when he died in 1993. It's uh, late July. It's pretty much around the 20-year anniversary of his death. So quite a fitting time to reflect back and think about what he did offer the great game of basketball. Doesn't seem long ago we were talking about 20th anniversary of Drazen's death and it just goes to show how short a time there was between those two deaths. It was sort of a landmark summer, that one of 93. We lost you know, Drazen and Reggie and then and then Jordan retired some months later. So um, three great shooting guards you know, all left the game uh, in, in different ways uh, during that short period of time. For sure, mate. Now, Reggie Lewis, he was born in 1965 and he died on July 27, 1993, at the tender age of just 27. He was really only just reaching his peak as far as you know NBA goes, and unfortunately, complications with his heart, and had a cardiac arrest and couldn't be resuscitated. So a really tragic loss for the NBA family and obviously just the community in general. 
Yeah, and I'm not sure if you've seen the film, Adam, but when he collapsed during a playoff game and um, it was sort of an unusual situation, he was just running down the floor on his own and, and sort of staggered a little bit. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think he, he returned to the game later on and in a bad way. I don't think it was fully uh, disclosed at the time just how serious his, his heart issue was, but he didn't play another playoff game or didn't play another game in general. And then, yeah, just two months later, he was gone. Uh, very shocking at the time. Now, that game you're talking about, that was round one, game one. It was Charlotte at Boston in the 93 playoffs. So it was April 29th of 1993. And it was in the first quarter where, yeah, as you said, he just staggered and then fell to the floor. He played 13 total minutes for the game. After playing the first six or so minutes, he was on fire. Had about 10 points early on in the first few minutes, and he ended up with 17 points. Yeah, he didn't play the next three games, and the Hornets closed out the Celtics with that memorable Alonzo morning buzzer beater in Game 4 back in Charlotte. If you look at sort of how, how Boston sort of fell apart, you could sort of trace that back to how important Reggie was to the team at that time. People who followed Boston closely during that period, it was sort of understood that Reggie was, was going to take the team from Larry, and, and I think he was an All-Star in 92, then Larry retired in 92. It was Reggie's team, you know, there was no question. I think it just goes to show how important he was. The team couldn't finish without him. I know they had a good 93 season. Reggie was about 21 points a game, but more importantly, it was his impact on the team. You know, it was understood, um, even though they had, you know, a lot of talent. Reggie, it was his team, it was his time, and you expect Boston to, to have more period of being a dominant team, and everyone just expected it was going to be Reggie's period to sort of add the next chapter to Boston's sort of period in the league. Sadly, that was not to be. Let's just go back a little bit. We'll talk about his high school career for a moment. He went to Dunbar in Baltimore, Maryland, and he played on a team where he was behind future NBA veterans like Muggsy Bogues, Reggie Williams, and David Wingate. So pretty fair high school team to have indeed. In his senior year, the team went 31-0 and as well. So he had some great future NBA players and veterans that were playing ahead of him even on his high school team. So he was quite... Even when you watched him in the NBA, he seemed quite gentle and unassuming, and that just seemed to be his nature, I think, even from his earliest days on the court. Yeah, and I think uh, the fact that he sort of had that humble beginning probably contributed a lot to his demeanor. It, when I lived in the U.S., when I played in college, one of my teammates was from the Washington area and attended Dunbar High School. And just there's a great tradition there in that school, a basketball tradition. A lot of talent have come out, and just some of the names that you listed there, all you know NBA players. I think to have sort of produced that much talent from one school says a lot about the the program, but also um, you know the fact that Reggie was not a featured player in, in high school. He sort of really broke out when he got to college at Northeastern. Says a lot about you know his character and his talent, really, that he was hidden in high school and then broke out when he got to college. Yeah, that's perfectly said because, because yeah, he wasn't really on the radar as far as the big ticket programs in college were recruiting. He ended up going to Northeastern University in Boston and they were coached at the time by Jim Calhoun, who since went on to win three NCAA titles with the Yukon Huskies. In the four seasons that he played at Northeastern, he was clearly the greatest player ever. He's got career averages of 22 points, eight rebounds, and two assists a game when he left Northeastern. And they've only actually had five players who made the NBA. The most recent one, the only one since he entered the league, was J.J. Barea. Yeah, incredible. The fact that Boston took him, you know, being a sort of a local guy, uh, you know, from playing at Northeastern sort of added to the narrative. I know there was a lot of affection for Reggie from the Boston fans and because of that local college connection, but that's a staggering number that just five players have been produced by that particular school. But for him to do what he did and, and reach stardom from such a, you know, as I said, a humble beginning is uh, really says a lot about him. 
Yeah, I love going to basketballreference.com. <laughs> uh, it's one of my staples that I visit often, but I did have to do a double take when I saw that only five players in the history of the university have gone to the pros from Northeastern, so he's clearly their best player ever. Yeah, absolutely. Just a, an interesting side note for Australian basketball fans and, and even those overseas who would be familiar with this guy, Andre Lafleur who did play for about four or five years here in Australia's National Basketball League back in the 1990s. He was a roommate of Reggie Lewis at Northeastern and was very close to him. Apparently even gave a eulogy for Lewis at his funeral. So obviously they had some very close ties. Uh, he was a member of the Gold Coast Rollers here in Australia's NBL that I can definitely remember. And he was quite a, a flashy, a good player in the NBL here. So he has a link to Australia, somewhat strained link, I guess you'd say, but still nonetheless an interesting side note there. Yeah, and I think we were talking about it earlier before we started recording that and there was a recent story about Reggie that featured Andre and obviously being, you know, 25 years or so since they played together, the bond that, that he shared with Reggie is still very strong and um, as you said, delivered the eulogy at his funeral, uh, obviously tells you how close they were. Now, I need to discover that when I was doing research for the chat, so uh, that was one of the bits of trivia that I did find in my research. Let's just talk about his entry into the NBA, mate. He was drafted by the Boston Celtics in his college days, having played at Boston. Obviously, there was a it was great to see that he was picked by the Celtics. He went pick number 22 overall. And in that same draft, his former high school teammates, Reggie Williams, who was pick number four, and Muggsy Bogues at pick 12. And also, actually, David Wingate entered the pros the year prior in the 86 draft. So he still had two of his three high school teammates drafted ahead of him in that draft and yes. it must be also noted as well that the prior year boston's first round selection at pick number two in 86 was len bias who tragically died just days later after that draft of a drug overdose so some terrible luck for the celtics franchise yeah, and of course, it sort of lends itself to to hypotheticals whether you know if, if Len Bias ends up you know living and playing in Boston, maybe their their draft position the next year in in eighty seven is different. Maybe they don't get Reggie. You know, history turns out differently, obviously. But it's funny, I you know just from looking at Reggie's statistics, only played eight minutes a game as a rookie. The the reason predominantly for that would be Casey Jones was very very loyal to his starting group. That obviously made the finals four years in a row, eighty four through eighty seven. The group that we all know and love he, he sort of lived by it and died by it in the end so Reggie didn't get much opportunity in the early stages of his career which I think is forgotten and four points a game in 49 games is is not a great impact but uh, yeah he sort of had to wait for his his turn yeah he played 450 NBA games in total and his career averages were 17.6 points a game 4.3 boards and 2.6 assists and also 1.3 steals a game. So his stats were obviously very good and that includes his rookie year where, as you said, he didn't get a whole lot of uh, court time. But after his, his rookie season, he missed just nine regular season games for the next five full seasons. He also benefited from Larry Bird's increasing injury issues, particularly in 1989 when Bird played only six games which gave Reggie a lot more court time and it showed the Celtics fans and the NBA community in general that he was more than the real deal. Yeah, and, and something like that had never happened before. Bird had been the face of Boston for the first nine years. To not have him there at all during the 89 season certainly gave the team a different look. But Reggie stepped in. Like, that's a dramatic improvement. Like, 14 points difference. You know, obviously he was getting more opportunity. He started 
well over half their games and established himself as a small forward. I think the beauty in Reggie's game was initially he was the, uh, a small forward as a starter. But then, uh, you know, when sort of Kevin Gamble came along and developed, Reggie was able to move to the two guard and he was an excellent defensive player, was really able to guard two guards or three men, you know, because of his quickness, because of his length. But yeah, really established himself in 89. And I know that even though the team didn't have success, I think they got swept in the first round by Detroit. He had established himself as maybe that next generation player. You mentioned Bird's injuries. Mikhail never got over his ankle injuries that he suffered in 87. Chief was obviously, you know, had played well over a decade in the league. You know, Boston had not groomed their young players to sort of take over. They were sort of spending all their bullets with that particular core group. But Reggie sort of gave them hope that maybe there was going to be more success after those older players had left. Yeah, that's right. And um, another interesting little side note, I saw on a YouTube clip from the Grantland Network, there was an interview with Bill Simmons and Larry Bird. And Larry was talking about the possibility or the fact that he was going to shut it down and retire after the 1988 season had Len Bias actually still been on the team. Did you, oh, wow. Have you ever seen that before? No, I didn't realize that. No, it's crazy. I, I couldn't believe it. It was just a little clip that I saw, and I'll try and link to it in the show notes for this episode. Visit inallairness.com forward slash 27. It was only about a two- or a three-minute excerpt from a longer-ranging interview, and he said that if Bias had been still on the team and hadn't tragically died, he had every intention to retire after the 88 season, which I found quite amazing. It seems to be the prevailing thought, the, the impact, not so much that Bias would have had on the game itself, but what he would have, the impact he would have had on the existing players in Boston because mm. injuries killed that team in 87. Maybe Auerbach made the mistake of living and dying with that the, the big three, and as iconic as they were, it wasn't until sort of the turn of the 90s that they started reloading. It wasn't until Chris Ford came along that you know they started reloading with D Brown. Obviously, Reggie was already there, Gamble, Rick Fox, those sorts of players, but you almost got the feeling it was a little bit too late, but didn't have anything left Mikhail Parrish those sorts of guys but yeah it's fascinating to think what would have happened obviously had Bias lived and to a greater extent I suppose Lewis because we actually got to see Lewis as an NBA player we actually got to see what sort of impact he was capable of having and he was just on his way to flourishing and really becoming one of the great stars of the league as you said he was an all-star in 1992 and in the 93 season he was fifth overall in minutes played and also, he was the Celtics captain in 1993, so he joined some exclusive company there with all-time greats like Bob Cousy and Bill Russell, John Havlicek and, and Dave Cowens. What always stood out to me about Reggie was the fact that even though he was clearly on his way to stardom, he was very deferential towards Bird mm -hmm. um, and to Mikhail. You know, it was never about, oh, this is my team, it's his team, you know, because... It's easy to forget this, but during the 92 playoffs, especially when um, Bird did not play hardly at all at the end of the regular season, and I think he missed the first round against Indiana, but Lewis really had emerged as a star. There was absolutely no question about it. There were some people questioning whether it would be beneficial if Bird was to even return at the end of the 92 playoffs because, you know, they were playing very competitively against Cleveland. With Reggie leading the way, I know he had a few big games. I think a 42-point game comes to mind that he had maybe in either game three or four, one of the home games there, but he had clearly established himself as the man in Boston, though it was never publicly stated that way. It was always, he was happy to just continue improving, continue to be sort of chase stardom, but it was never about his team or Larry's team. It was never, you know, an ego thing with Reggie. In my opinion, from my perspective, I know you mentioned earlier, he seemed like a humble guy. Well, he seemed very patient in that pursuit of stardom. And even though Larry was finishing up his career and all he'd achieved, you know, Reggie wasn't snatching that ego, that, you know, stardom from Larry. He, he let him have it to the end. 
And in that 1992 playoffs that you're talking about, the lowest points that he scored for the entire two rounds at the Boston were in the playoffs was 15. But yeah, game four of the series against Cleveland. So second round, game four, hosting the Cavs. So he had 42 points, three boards, six assists, and five steals, and a block. So that is a monster game. He was yeah. uh, clearly just a fantastic player on the rise, without doubt. And it's just really tragic that we never got to see exactly how great he could be and what he could do by taking this Celtics team to, to possibly the next level and beyond. Just taking a look at his playoff log, some of those numbers are elite level mm-hmm. totals for a shooting guard or for a small forward, 36, 32, 36, 42, like those numbers not to be ignored. Always shot a high percentage. An interesting sort of player, you know, didn't fall in love with the three-point shot. That may have come later when they shortened the lineup, but excellent mid-range. You know, when I think about Reggie sort of as a player, I think about him holding the ball, ripping it through, you know, one dribble jump shot. He sort of had a corkscrew shot, had very long arms, really turned into a a great offensive player. But some of those numbers you mentioned, yeah, just incredible for, especially in the postseason. Yeah, and it also had a really good first step as well. So to get people completely off guard and just catch them, you could either fake or, you know, jab step or drive, take a dribble, as you said, and just an incredibly gifted player all around. Now, for what it's worth, in that final game he played in round one, game one of the 93 playoffs, both David Wingate and Muggsy Bogues were on the opposition team there. So that's just a bit of random trivia too. And I think Muggsy was since quoted as saying or had said something on the lines of he saw him go down but didn't think a whole lot of it at the time and thought it was rather innocuous. And then obviously no one really realised at the time how devastating it actually would be in, in terms of actually him not playing again for that playoff series and then only a few months later passing away. And to obviously see that footage again with the benefit of knowing what happened in the in the following months, yeah, especially hard to watch. Clearly there was a, a health issue there, way more serious than, than anyone realised at the time. But from memory, he was having a shooting workout um, when he did collapse. Not an overly strenuous one, but very, very sad to, to think how that all played out. That was on July 27, 1993. He was practising at a, another university in the Boston area, collapsed and went into cardiac arrest. Since the playoff series had ended and then in the month or two leading up to his death, there was some conflicting diagnosis from different doctors as well, which really was adding to the intrigue even further in terms of what was the best way to head forward and progress with his career uh, in the future. And I suppose we've also got to consider the the time frame that we're talking with Hank Gathers dying in 1990. There might have also been a, a situation there where he had continued playing when a, when maybe a diagnosis suggested otherwise. He played basketball all his life, Reggie. It was clearly his calling, so to speak. Very very difficult to just. I know the the doctors of advice. Obviously, you've got to take it on board, but you've got to understand these guys are, are athletes. You know, it's it's their living, and maybe the full extent of what he was going through or, or his health situation wasn't known at the time. It just makes you think. If it, if it didn't happen then, then surely it would have happened at a later period of time. Clearly, he was in a, in a poor condition. The footage, as you said, that in that playoff game against the Hornets, it's really jarring when you know actually what then goes on to happen. It seemed quite innocuous at the time, but tragedy was only months away. Now, at halftime of a Bulls and Celtics game in March of 1995, Reggie Lewis's number 35 was retired to the rafters uh, in the old Boston Garden. So there was a ceremony held at halftime. It was quite a lengthy ceremony, actually. I've got a copy of the game on VHS tape, and uh, it's just a few days after Jordan's come back to the league as well. So it was his yeah. last visit to the old Boston Garden. It was March 22 yeah. of 95, if I'm not mistaken, and um, some great footage there where Red Auerbach and Tom Heinsohn and some other 
Celtics, past and present, were there to help retire the jersey, and also Reggie's wife was there uh, in attendance as well. And if memory serves, she spoke very, very well and may have written a poem or something in, about Reggie, but obviously it's it's a ceremony they should have been having, say, 10 years after what they actually did, you know, when, when his career should have been complete. But um, just a side note, just when you bring up Jordan's final game in Boston, I, I seem to recall a, a quote uh, that, that Jordan had in regards to, uh, not, not in regards to Reggie, but more about Boston. He said that, with Chicago Stadium gone, this is now my home, which always struck me as a strange comment. I can't recall actually ever hearing that, which that is quite yeah. strange, isn't it, really? I know he has would have had fond memories from 1986 when he lit it up for 63 points in Game 2, but and obviously he had some great performances over the years, but I would have thought maybe Madison Square Garden may have been his second home of sorts, given he was yeah. Brooklyn-born, even though he was only there for not even a year. But, yeah, I would have thought he might have called the uh, the Knicks home court his second home. I, uh, I tell you what, I'll chase it up because I know it's in a magazine. I'll chase it up and, uh, yeah, we'll get that posted online or something. <laughs> oh, definitely, mate. I'm all for sort of random tidbits and bits of trivia like that. So we'll try and track that down. And if we do, we'll add it into the show notes for this episode as well. And as you said, the retirement of his number should have been many years later than it was. He was only drafted to the NBA back in 1987 and to have his jersey retired to the rafters in 1995 obviously doesn't bode well if you're looking at forecasting the future there so a terrible loss for one of the great franchises in all of sports and they were unfortunately plagued by some just terrible luck for lack of a better word. You know it's not the saddest thing, obviously, about the situation because there was a loss of life there. But, you know, very consistent with Drazen's story in New Jersey. Both franchises, it took them time to recover from the deaths of those particular players. And, you know, for whatever reason, it, it seemed to the emotional toll, it was just too much. I know Boston actually went all the way to the bottom for their rebuild. I think they won 15 games in 97, but they weren't able to recover from Reggie's death in my opinion, until, you know, Pierce came along in 99. It just uh, really rocked them. And he surely was the guy that was going to to be the face of that team for the next five or six years, you know, well into his early 30s. But with his death, it changed the complex of that franchise. And um, as I said, obviously not the saddest thing about that situation, but certainly something that, that we can't overlook you know, the impact that it had on the franchise. Yeah, for sure. Now, in 1994, the Celts went 32-50. and 50. In 1995, they went 35-47. and 47. 96, they went back to 33-49 and 49 under ML Carr after Chris Ford had left. And then 15-67, and 67, as you said, back in the 97 season. So that was brutal. When it got to 1998, it was the Rick Pitino era. They went 36-46, and 46, but his style of play didn't mesh with some of the players after a while, and that grew thin pretty quickly. And then... Again, 1931, back in the 1999 season, which was the lockout shortened season. So it was right. only 50 games. Yeah, they really did bottom out, and it did take them some time. Really, once the truth did enter, the Celtics, that's when it started to pick themselves back up because they pretty much couldn't go any lower for that period of time. So it really sent them into some kind of spiral. Absolutely. In those situations, we turn to the hypotheticals and, and wonder what if. We saw enough of Reggie to know he was certainly well on his way. What's interesting, we sort of touched on it earlier, but... With Jordan gone, it always interests me that the player who was the All-NBA first-team shooting guard the following year was Latrell Sprewell. It just seems, as good a player as Sprewell was, it just seems that the position took a real hit in that particular time. I look at Sprewell's emergence. I look at Reggie Miller's emergence in the 94 playoffs. I think he had that breakout series against the Knicks. I always wonder if it was going to be Reggie Lewis's 
turn to have a moment or, or Drazen's turn to have a moment. You know, because you look at Sprewell, you look at Miller, other guys who emerged in Jordan's absence, they became elite level at their position. Easy to imagine that sort of happening to Reggie Lewis or happening to Drazen. It really throws up some very interesting questions and debate. And this is what I love so much about this era, not the fact that we unfortunately have to talk about these retrospectives with great players having had their careers cut short tragically, but it just opens up so many different discussions and I just can't get enough of soaking up the history of the game, particularly from that sort of era and and the 80s as well. So it does open up many different possibilities for discussion. Yeah, well, certainly Reggie has his place in that era that we dearly love. And you know what? It should be for the reason that what a great player that we saw as opposed to his early demise. And certainly when we think of him, we should think about his impact on the game as opposed to his premature death. Couldn't agree more, mate. Now, how can people get in touch with you if they wish to? Well, uh, I'm eagerly awaiting my 22nd follower on Twitter. So (laughs) Todd Spear 35 jump online and uh, follow my one tweet per month. That would be terrific. <laughs> but um, otherwise, yeah, I look forward to my next appearance. Not to give too much away, but um, you know, we may or may not be talking about the history of the NBA on Australian television, but we'll have to wait and see. Exactly right, mate. That is an upcoming episode, and that's one that I'm far too excited to actually chat about, <laughs> to be honest. But I am looking forward to breaking down all the different things that happened here on, within Australia as far as the airing of different games and programs and whatnot. Thank you very much, mate, for joining me again, and I look forward to chatting with you in another episode in the not too distant future always enjoy it mate and uh yeah keep churning out the uh, the great podcast always enjoy thanks mate thanks for listening i hope you enjoyed the show and share my web address with your friends and colleagues in check out the podcast archive for plenty more episodes with high profile guests follow me on twitter at in please visit the show's social hub facebook.com slash join me next time for another edition of the show